Thank you, Zach. Appreciate Zach reading our scripture tonight. Very grateful for him and all of our young folks, and we appreciate their willingness to be a part of our worship service each week. It is good to see Brooke. Came all the way from Germany. So we're glad to have her. It's good to have her home. Said she will be here for about a week, and so hopefully and prayerfully she'll have a great week, get to spend time with family and friends, and then back to work, I guess. But we're glad to see her and very thankful that she had a safe trip. We are looking tonight at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, specifically we want to look at verses 3 through 11 in our study tonight. We began this study last week and we did not finish, and so I want to just very quickly recap what we've talked about thus far, and we are discussing tonight growing spiritually in Christ. I asked the question last week, and I'll ask it again because some of you, some of you were not here last week. How would you rate your growth in Christ? Would you say that you are a spiritually mature Christian? The goal of every Christian is to grow, to become everything that God would have us to be. Peter, as you well know, in 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 2, said, As a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you might grow thereby. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter said, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, Spiritual growth is mandatory if we're going to be pleasing to God, isn't it? Hopefully and prayerfully, all of us are growing as Christians. You don't have to raise your hand, but have you grown in the past year as a Christian? How do you measure your spiritual growth? Do you see growth taking place in your life on a daily basis? I hope and pray that you do. Tonight, let's think for a minute or two about the importance of spiritual growth in Christ. I want to begin by very quickly talking about the basis for our spiritual growth. And in verse 3 of chapter 1 in 2 Peter, Peter identifies for us the author of Scripture. And we said that the author of Scripture obviously is God. He is the source of all divine Scripture. And so in verse 3 he said, "...as His divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness." through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. God is the one who has made Scripture available to us. Down in verse 20, Peter said, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy came not by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. In other words, what Peter is saying here is that Scripture is God-breathed. The Holy Spirit is the one who inspired human beings to record for us God's holy word. You remember David in the long ago said, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. His word was on my tongue in 2 Samuel chapter 23 at verse 3. Paul said all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And so the book that we call the Bible is not a product of man, though some may think it is, but rather scripture comes to us by Almighty God. And as we said last week, it's hard for us to imagine that God in heaven would think enough of us as His creation to share revelation with us, but that's exactly what He's done. And so, the source of Scripture and then the sufficiency of Scripture. Then in verse 4, Peter said, "...by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises." 
that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so God's Word is all sufficient. Everything that we need in the realm of life and godliness has been revealed. You remember what Paul said, all Scripture inspired of God is profitable. For what? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so God's Word supplies us with everything that we need to know to become a child of God and then to stay faithful to Him, doesn't it? And then there's a second thought in our first point. First, we talk about the author of Scripture, and then secondly, the aim of Scripture. The intent of Scripture is, number one, to educate us. Now, we can know that there's a God by observing the world in which we live. Logic demands that, doesn't it? And yet we can't know the mind of God, the character of God, without His revelation. And so God has given us His Word in order to educate us. You remember in Titus chapter 2, Paul wrote, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to every man. And then he said, teaching us or instructing us. You remember Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So the design of Scripture is, number one, to educate. Number two, to liberate. Peter said that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Why? That we might escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. So through obeying the gospel, we become children of God. We enjoy the blessings and favors of God. We escape the world. We are translated into the kingdom of God, and thus we enjoy all spiritual blessings in Christ. Now, Note with me, if you would, in the second place. And this is where we left off last week. In our, study last, in our study last week, we were talking about some of the building blocks for spiritual growth. And the Apostle Peter here lays a foundation for us. And as we think about this point, I want to begin by just very quickly re-emphasizing our attitude towards spiritual growth. Typically, we have the ability to do a lot of things in life, don't we? Desire means a lot. And so when I think about spiritual growth, it really begins with attitude, doesn't it? Do I want to grow spiritually? What's my intent? If I intend to grow, then bottom line is I can grow, can I? Think back to the first of the year. How many people began the first of the year with a number of resolutions? Did you have any resolutions? Are you still on board with those resolutions? It's amazing how people will start strong, but then after a couple of months, those resolutions tend to fall by the wayside. Well, sometimes we, have, we are well-intentioned, but we just don't follow through. So we've got to have intent, and then add to that interest. There has to be some interest on our part to grow spiritually. Again, think about what Peter said, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It requires effort, doesn't it? As a matter of fact, when I think about what's involved in spiritual growth, it requires intent, it requires interest, it requires an investment. You've got to invest in spiritual things. If you want to grow spiritually, then ultimately the power lies within you lies within each of us. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 4 when he said bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable 
unto all things. Fiscal exercise is recommended. It's a good thing. Spiritual exercise is also a great thing. Fiscal exercise, it takes interest, it takes intent, it takes, it takes people investing their time in that, in that realm. By the same token, if you want to grow spiritually, you're going to have to invest. Now note what Peter says, verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence. I mentioned intent, interest, investing. The word diligence here means earnestness. To strive after, to strive for. All he's saying is, look, these building blocks, they're not, gonna, they're not just going to, they're, they're not going to come easily. But rather, we're going to have to work toward them, aren't we? Now, I mentioned our attitude toward spiritual growth. But the question is, how then do we activate them? How do we adorn our lives with the traits that the Apostle Peter sets forth in 2 Peter chapter 1. Well, as I said a minute ago, it takes time, takes effort, takes, takes a lot of energy, doesn't it? So Peter said, giving all diligence add to your faith. And we said last week that faith is fundamental to everything, isn't it? We've got to lay a foundation. And so the foundation that is laid is faith. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing, doesn't it? Hearing by the Word of God. That's what Paul said, Romans 10, verse 17. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. Did you know that your spiritual growth, that there's a correlation between spiritual growth and faith? If you want to grow your faith, it's going to take a lot of effort, isn't it? So faith is fundamental. And so once we have that faith in place, then we begin building upon the faith. And so Peter would say, add to your faith virtue. The word virtue here carries with it the idea of moral excellence. The determination to do what is right. And there are a lot of people in the world today that sadly have not incorporated this principle, this characteristic or trait, into their lives. Sometimes even within the body of Christ. There are individuals who lack a desire to do what is right. Joseph is a classic example of somebody who made the decision to do what was right. We discussed that last week in our study. But he said, I want you to add to your faith virtue. And then he said, I want, to add, I want you to add to virtue knowledge. Knowledge in this context, has to do with Scripture. It carries with it the idea of making discernments between right and wrong. Did you know that's one of the byproducts of knowing God's Word? How are you going to have a basis, a standard, for deciding whether something is right or wrong? How are you going to know if this is true or false? If this is truth or error? Well, you can't know if you don't know the Scriptures, can you? Look with me at Hebrews chapter 5 for just a minute. In Hebrews the fifth chapter, the writer is addressing Christians that sadly had not grown as they should have in Christ. He said in verse 11 that they had become dull of hearing. 
In verse 12, he said, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food or meat. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Now, note the contrast here. On the one hand, you have someone who is a mature Christian. On the other hand, you have an individual who is a babe in Christ. Sadly, what the Hebrew writer is saying is that there are some people, there were some people in the first century who should have progressed to a point in their spiritual lives wherein they would have been classified as a mature Christian. But he said, really, in effect, you're just a babe. You're still partaking of the milk of God's Word. And so in verse 14, he said, solid food or meat belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who are mature. Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So think about that for a minute. The writer here is saying the byproduct of growing as a child of God is we can make wise discernments, can't we? Do you remember in Psalm 119 and verse 104, the psalmist said, through your precepts I get understanding. And then listen to what he said. Therefore, in light of his understanding, based upon the precepts of God, he said, I hate every false way. Well, how would he know what was right or wrong? How would he know what was true or false? Well, again, the only way that he could have known was through the precepts of God. And so the writer here is saying that when we grow as Christians, when we grow as we should, we have the ability to make wise discernments in life. Now, I mentioned just a moment ago virtue. And the writer talking about the importance of virtue in the Christian life. Don't we need to be equipped with a knowledge of what's right and wrong so that when, when we are confronted with choices in life, whether right or wrong, that we will have the ability and the desire to do what is right? Joseph, how did he know? How did he know to make the right decisions in Egypt? Don't you think he knew something about God and his will? Go back and look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember Nebuchadnezzar had made that golden image 90 feet high, 9 feet wide? The command was that they were to bow in the presence of this golden image and pay homage to it. And what did they say? They said, look, in effect, our God, the God that we serve, if He so desires, He can deliver us. But you need to understand something. We will not bow down and worship the golden image that you've erected. Why was that? Why do you think that was the case? They understood something about the nature of God, didn't they? They knew something about worshiping God and the God who was, who was worthy, who is worthy of true worship. What about Daniel? You remember Daniel in the court of the Medes and the Persians? They sought to find a way to ensnare Daniel, that is, the people in the court of Persia. So they went to the king and they made a proposition. If anyone makes a petition of any man other than the king, any god or man, then he'll be cast into a den of lions. Well, you know what Daniel did? Daniel knew about the edict. 
Daniel was well aware of, of the law that had been placed in effect. And the Bible says that Daniel goes back, back home, goes up to his upper room. The windows are open toward heaven. And what does he do? He bows down on his knees. He prays to God, gives thanks to Him, as was His custom. Why? Because He chose to do what was right. How did He know, what was, how, how did he know to do what was right? Again, knowledge. A knowledge of the will of God. Now, you think about society today and the need for knowledge as children of God. Are we not confronted with, with many forms of temptation today? Some are very subtle. Some not so subtle. Don't we need a clear understanding of what's right and wrong? You know, we talk about that which is gray. A lot of times we talk about this is black, this is white, and then there are those that will say, well, you know, that's a gray area. Are there gray areas? I mean, don't we need to be able to say conclusively, you know what, this is right. If somebody were to talk to us about abortion and say, you know what, I don't really see what the big deal is. I mean, it's just a, just a mass of tissue. I mean, I, I don't see why we, we spend so much time arguing about that. Well, can't we say, you know what, here's what the Bible says about that. The Bible says that human life is sacred, that God is the giver. He is the Father of our spirit, that we've been made in His image and His likeness, and so we believe in protecting that baby in the womb. Those of you who are young, you're going to be confronted with a lot, by a lot of folks. As a teenager, when you get out into the work world, Sometimes I think we have this idea that things will change. They don't, they don't change. Temptation comes in different packages, but it's still there, isn't it? There are going to be folks that are going to try to encourage you to drink alcohol. And what drink? It's not that big a deal. Well, you need to understand what God's Word says about alcohol. You need to be able to clearly say, okay, this is right or this is wrong. And you need to have those decisions made before the temptation comes. You need to know what you're going to do before you're, ever, before you're ever confronted with the temptation. And so in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter is saying, look, we've got to build upon our faith. We've got to add to faith virtue, the determination to do what is right, even when it becomes uncomfortable. And then to equip ourselves with knowledge. Be like the psalmist of old, whose meditation was in the law of the Lord. And the Bible says he meditated on that law day and night. Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Build an arsenal of Scripture in your mind. You can do that. If you, if you are intent on growing as a Christian, if you're interested, you can memorize Scripture, can't you? How did Jesus defend himself against the devil? You remember? Every time Jesus said, It is written, going back and quoting, Old Testament Scripture. Now, listen to what Peter said. Add to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. And the idea here is to be able to master our passions, our desires, particularly in the sexual realm. Now go back and look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter said, as a stranger or pilgrim, Abstain from fleshly lust, 
which war against the soul. We have to equip ourselves with self-control. There is a world out there that looks good, appetizing, and there are a lot of things I will freely grant that if, if we indulged in them, we'd enjoy them. I promise you, we would. You remember Moses talked about, the Hebrew writer talked about how Moses chose not to enjoy the pleasures of sin for, se for a season. There are a lot of things out there that you can get involved in that will bring you a lot of happiness and gratification this side of eternity. And what the writer here is saying is, as a child of God, we're not just free to live as we please, are we? I mean, there are a lot of folks out here in the world that say, you know what? If it feels good, do it. If it makes you happy, by all means do it. Well, what's the standard? Is there a standard that we are trying to adhere to? The answer is yes, there is. That standard is God's Word. So the writer here is saying, okay, what we've got to do is gain control of that inner man. And sometimes that's easier said than done. You know, Paul said we walk by faith and not by sight. What happens a lot of times is we're walking by sight, not by faith. And so what we see is tantalizing, enticing. And the devil's attacking us daily, and the devil does a tremendous job in abducting Christians. And so what we're trying to do is say, you know what, there are certain things that are just off limits. Now, think about how these traits interlock with one another. Virtue means the determination to do what is right at all costs. Temperance or self-control. I have made the decision, you know what, here's the line in the sand. Here's the line. I'm not crossing it. Not only am I not going to cross it, I'm not going to see how close I can get to it. That's where we get in trouble, isn't it? We try to get too close to the line and what happens? We get burned, don't we? How many times have you heard somebody say, you know what, that never happened to me. Famous last words. There are a lot of things that we say will never happen to us, but guess what? Before you know it, we're knee-deep in trouble. There are people today that have trouble with alcohol. They have trouble with pornography. They have a lot of problems that have been self-inflicted. And the reason is because they didn't exercise self-control. They didn't say, you know what? I am not crossing this line. What's the old adage? Just say no. What was it James said? Resist the devil and he will what? He'll flee from you. But we've got to have the ability, we've got to have the spiritual strength and fortitude to say, no, I can't do that. Look, are there things that I would like to do that would bring me immense gratification and pleasure in life? You better believe it. I am a red-blooded male. And there are a lot of things that I would enjoy in this life. But I understand there are some things that are just off limits, aren't they? It's, it's not something that, that's up for negotiation. We can't afford to throw our faith away, can we? So that's what Peter's saying. 
Peter is saying, look, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance or self-control. And then he said, add to that perseverance. Perseverance means bearing up under the trials of life. Perseverance is born out of adversity, isn't it? You know, if you don't ever have resistance, you don't, you don't get stronger in life, do you? And when you go to the gym and you lift weights, what are you doing? You're building muscle by resistance. By the same token, when we face trials and tribulations and difficulties in life, those things have the ability or the potential to strengthen us. To help us gain patience and perseverance in life. In Romans chapter 5, Paul said, tribulation works perseverance. And he said, perseverance, character. Character, hope. Building character is not easy, is it? You know, sometimes there, there are some traits that we develop in life that do not come easy. Think back over your life about some of the difficulties and trials that you've been through, whether it's sickness, illness, disease, financial setback, the loss of a job, a demotion, whatever the case may be. Think about some of the difficulties that you've faced in life and ask yourself this, has it made you a better person? Now, I would freely admit that when we're in the middle of a storm, and life is howling, and the world is literally turned upside down, and we're having difficulty making it day to day, it's tough to see the blessings in those trials. But what James says is that trials produce patience or perseverance. They help to refine us, don't they? Look at the life of Job. Job experienced, he experienced a lot of difficulties in life, didn't he? He lost his family, wealth, health, support of his wife, and yet he trudged on. And James would write in chapter 5 of his book, he said, you have heard of the patience of Job. That fellow had to be persevering to, to make it, didn't he? And so, as we think about building, building our spiritual life, we need perseverance. And then note what he says. Add to perseverance, godliness. And the idea here is reverence, respect toward God. We live in a godless age in many respects, don't we? When Peter wrote this epistle, the Roman Empire was a powerful entity. It was a godless, corrupt empire. And yet Peter said, we got to live faithfully, we got to live faithfully every day, don't we? We've got to withstand the advances of the devil. And so, in light of the godless age in which Peter wrote, he said to Christians in the first century, Here's what you need to do. You need to be godly in your character. To have deep and abiding respect for God and His Word. Our society today is struggling. 
in America because we have in many respects abdicated God's will. We've said no to His Word and we're paying a heavy price for it. Solomon said, Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach unto any people. So there are not many things that couldn't be overturned in our country today if we had a healthy dose of, healthy dose of godliness or righteousness. And then listen to what he says. Add to godliness brotherly kindness. In the original, this is, in the original language, this has to do with brotherly love. And what Peter is saying is that as children of God, we have to learn to love one another. We've got to learn to get along with one another, don't we? And when you think about human beings, human beings aren't perfect. And so what Peter is saying is, as children of God, we've got to love our brotherhood, brotherhood of believers. Peter talks about those who, are, who have obtained like precious faith back in verse 1. Jesus talked about the importance of loving one another and what that says to the world. Do you remember in John chapter 13? Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Even as I've loved you, that you love one another. This same word is found in 1 Peter chapter 1 when Peter said that we are to love one another fervently with a pure heart. To develop genuine love for one another. And then the last term is agape love. That sacrificial, selfless type love. Jesus demonstrated it in His life. And what Peter is saying is that we need to have brotherly love as a part of daily life, but add to that brotherly love, agape love, that sacrificial, selfless, self-giving love, day in and day out. All right, time's almost gone, very quickly. And thirdly, the blessings of spiritual growth. Peter tells us spiritual growth, number one, produces a fruitful life. Listen to him in verse 8. He said, if these things are yours and abound, that is, these special characteristics that he enumerates, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Some of us, some of us are nearsighted. I can see fairly well up close, but I can't see it all at a distance. There are some people in life, they're only looking at the here and now. Spiritual growth enables us to look beyond the day-to-day -day existence, doesn't it? It helps us to look beyond this physical realm that we call life. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You remember the Apostle Paul said, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things which are seen, he said, are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. There are a lot of folks in our world today, what governs their behavior, what governs their decisions in life daily it's the here and now. They can't see at a distance, spiritually speaking. 
And Peter is saying that if we incorporate these traits into our lives, number one, we're going to live a godly life. Number two, we're going to live a life that glorifies God because that's what we're supposed to do. Our goal is to bring honor and glory to God. Now, the second point, as we think about the blessings of spiritual growth, first, spiritual growth produces a fruitful life, but it produces a faithful life. Listen to what Peter said. Verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. He said, If you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let me just say this in closing. Show me somebody that's giving their best day in and day out. And they're trying to grow spiritually. They're doing their best to spend time reading and studying God's Word. They're present for worship. They're involved in the work of the church. I'll show you somebody that's going to make it to heaven. Spiritual growth produces a faithful life. I mean, our goal is heaven, isn't it? Don't we, want to, don't we want to one day spend eternity with the Lord? To be with His people? Sure we do. All right? Is there a way that we can foolproof our spiritual life? Sure is. How do we do that? Grow. Look, the more we grow, the closer we become to the Lord, don't we? Didn't James say, draw near to God? And what did he say God will do to us? He said he'll draw near to us. So the more time that we spend striving to the best of our ability to grow spiritually, the, the closer we become to the Lord, the closer we become to one another, and ultimately the closer we become, the closer we come to heaven, don't we? It's all about heaven. That's our goal. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the privilege of being your people. And Father, we recognize that we are imperfect people and that, that, and that there are things in life that sometimes we leave undone. There are things in life that we do that we should not. And Father, we ask that you would give us the strength and the courage that we need to become stronger spiritually. Help us to not just look at the here and now, but to look beyond this life so that one day we might be together in heaven. Father, we ask that you would give us the strength that we need to live day by day by your side. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we encourage you to come to Christ. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and you would come in simple trusting faith to do as they did on Pentecost Day when Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. If you'll do that, the Bible assures us God will add us to the kingdom. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to His cause, you need to come home. Look, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you. John said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Won't you come as we stand and sing?